Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in Scripture and our lives. I am Adam Erickson, writer for the Raven Review and pastor in the United Church of Christ. And I'm Lindsay Paris Lopez, writer for the Raven Review, aspiring peacemaker and aspiring follower of Jesus. This is episode 22 for Good Friday. In this episode, we discuss John chapter 18, verses 1 through John chapter 19, verses 42. (laughs) No way, Lindsay. No way are we going to read that whole two chapters. That's 82 verses. We are not going to read 82 verses in this episode. Well, I guess not. All right. In this episode, we discuss portions of John (laughs) chapters 18 and 19 then. Yes, let's just do the portions. I like that. All right. In, In Jesus Unmasked, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses that obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear, that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and we use the Common Lectionary. Except for when we don't use the Common Lectionary. What is, I generally like the Common Lectionary, but seriously, Lindsay, 82 verses? It's a Mm -hmm. bit much. It is a bit much. And there are churches that combine the Passion with Palm Sunday so that you're reading Palm Sunday and the Passion. So it's... So that's like 140 verses or something like that. It's ridiculous. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. I do not have the patience to listen to someone read all of those verses. Well, a lot of churches do passion plays and it's acted out and and uh, the congregation doesn't fall asleep because they are part of it. So yes. they have work to do. And if they if they snooze, then they might forget their line and throw everything off. So they're very well, you careful. don't want to do that. That's yeah. not good. <laughs> but yes, but our listeners were... are. Yeah, but our listeners are not in a congregation and uh, this is not conducive to a passion play. So we're not going to do all 80 plus verses. That would be painful. So we are going to uh, encourage you, if you would like, to go read chapter John chapter 18, uh, verse 1 through 19, verse 42. It'll take about eight to 10 minutes, I think. And uh, lots of great stuff going on in those verses. This is where Jesus comes face to face with the with Pilate, the Roman governor, uh, and they talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And Jesus says, "This the, my kingdom is not of this world. And what is this world that Jesus is talking about? It's the world of violence. So Jesus mm-hmm. does not is not the leader of a world of violence, but bringing in something totally new, which is a world of nonviolent love. Mm -hmm. And so that's all like really important, cool stuff, but we're not going to talk about it so much. (laughs) It's 
so important. I know. And, instead, and we're not gonna. And we're not gonna talk. <laughs> instead, we're gonna talk primarily about Peter's betrayal and denial of Jesus in chapter eighteen, and then the words from Jesus on the cross in chapter nineteen. So, shall I just go ahead and read chapter eighteen? Yes. Portions of chapter eighteen. That is chapter (laughs) eighteen. All right. This is John chapter eighteen, verses fifteen through eighteen, and then twenty-five through twenty-seven. Jesus, uh, about five chapters earlier in chapter thirteen, Peter says that he will follow Jesus wherever he goes, even if it's to death. And Jesus says, "No, you're going to betray me." And you'll deny me three times before the cro- the cock crows. So uh, this is where that takes place. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, They asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. So so why did we pick this passage out of all of those things to discuss? There are good Girardian reasons for picking this passage. Okay. Um, but the first thing I think of when I hear this is a line from, or a couple, a few lines from Jesus Christ Superstar. Mary catches Peter in the act of, of denying Jesus, and she goes to him and says, Peter, don't you know what you have said? You've gone and cut him dead. And Peter says, I had to do it, don't you see, or else they'd go for me. And Mary says, it's what he told you he, you would do. I wonder how he knew. And there's this thought that Jesus can just see the future. And it's, it's, it's taken as evidence that Jesus must be the son of God, that he predicted that Peter would deny Jesus three times. And Jesus is the Son of God, but this isn't some miracle. This is just Jesus in his full humanity, understanding Peter in his full humanity. You know, Peter, Jesus knows what Peter's going to do, not because he can predict the future, but because he knows how humans are. And particularly, he knows how Peter is. He has been with Peter for a long, long time, and he understands what makes Peter enthusiastic, and he understands what makes Peter scared, and Peter's not so different from the rest of us. So we picked this passage because 
it's a passage about a human being being a human being and facing fears, but also fear's not the only thing Peter's feeling at this point. Peter wants to belong. Peter wants to be in in an in crowd. You know, Peter doesn't run away. Peter goes and warms his hands by the fire where other people are. He denies Jesus out of fear, but he still wants to go and be with people. So he's a mixture of emotions and desires, just like we all are. So. Yes, and part of that sense of belonging is just as mimetic theory teaches us, being highly influenced by those around us and particularly the crowd, the mm -hmm. larger group. And that's where I think that you really nail this is uh, the sense of fear and the sense of belonging to something that's bigger than yourself and how much fear drives us to uh, go against things that we've almost worked the last three years on in Peter's case, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. He's given himself to this and he's gone through moments of extreme faith in Jesus and also moments where he just doesn't get it. And as you say, that's like, that's the human story. And here Jesus or Peter gets a sense of warmth, not only from the fire, but also being with the crowd, right? It, it gives him a sense of security. It gives him a sense of not gonna be killed by this mm -hmm. thing that's happening to my to my the guy that I've been following the last three years so that's just how like highly influenced we are by others and it really like gives a a challenge to free will in this like did mm -hmm. did Peter have a choice yes he had a choice he has some free will in this but it's limited free will I mean, he's struggling right now. He's not even like thinking of being faithful. He's like in his, in when you get in this fear mode, you're in the prefrontal frontal cortex <laughs> where you're not mm -hmm. like, where, where you're having a hard time really thinking. He's in a crisis situation right now. And like yeah. all of us in our humanity, it's hard to like, it's hard to think straight. Uh, and so issues of like free will and stuff um, don't aren't really thrown out the window, but they're very limited in this situation. And for me that, as you say, like that's just a way for me to identify with Peter in this Peter's humanity in this situation. Uh, we've all been there. We've all denied uh, our friends and family members, betrayed people. Uh, and that's happened to us as well. And what do we do? How do we respond to that? is, I guess, the question that Peter has to go through and the question that we all have to go through, uh, in, which is also part of our humanity, too. Yeah. Peter had been so, so zealous and so sure, and it's kind of poignant, and I think cute is really the wrong word to use, but it seems cute to, to think of how how eager he was, how excited he was, how he told Jesus, I'm going to be with you to the end. I would die for you. I, I'm your right hand man. And I mean, he's recently um, just 
cut off a soldier's ear in his enthusiasm, which is, it's not cute, but it shows like a, like a real, a real zeal, a real passion for Jesus. And Jesus, of course, has said, put away your sword. Anyone who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And he healed the ear and he, he was not going to allow violence to be done on his behalf. But Peter was so ready in everything he knew how to do to be there with Jesus and nothing worked. It, it didn't stop the guards from taking Jesus away. And he's gone from being, you know, zealously wanting to be by Jesus' side to now that that's failed, he needs to go and cling to something else. Like he he needs to belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. He needs to go and go and warm his hands by the fire in a crowded space where people will recognize him and just... He needs to just deny what's very obvious to everyone. He's probably in a kind of in a kind of shock, like, no, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. Like I think I mean he he knows he's lying, but in another sense, he he wants so much both to protect himself and to fit in and to have a new family. Because when Jesus was taken away, that was like the linchpin of the whole family. Like all the disciples are scattered because what was holding them together is gone. And he so desperately needs to be part of something that there's a risk that he's taking in just going and being among others. But the greater risk for him is to be alone with nothing. So being around people is somehow less scary to him than going off on his own and being and being as alone as Jesus is in this moment, really. Jesus tells Peter that Peter's going to deny him three times. And what he's doing when he's denying Jesus is he's kind of turning his back on not just Jesus, but what he has stood for, what the mission is, and just falling back into what is safe and comfortable and people who could possibly have power over him. He's denying Jesus because these people could hurt him if he if he says, yes, I'm with Jesus. People have some power over him. People could harm him. And he is trying to get into their good graces that is not solidarity with the people who are being harmed by those same powers. So the forces that are crucifying Jesus are the same forces that push out the most vulnerable all over the place. And Jesus's words to Peter later are going to be about to show that you love me, stand with the people that I that I stand with instead of the people who, you know, and not, not instead, you know, it's not about an either or, but it's like you will transform the world for the good when you stand with the marginalized. 
and you'll bring in the people who were doing the marginalizing by standing with the marginalized. There's falling back into a world that uses violence to get ahead. And uh, Jesus is going to call him out of that again. Yes. And as you're talking, it strikes me that fear is really running Peter. And it's also running Caiaphas, who says it is better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish. So that's the whole uh, logic behind Caiaphas's reasoning for trying to kill Jesus, because here's a guy who's claiming to be king of the Jews. And if he leads a rebellion against Rome, then Rome is, he fears, is going to come and slaughter all of us. So Jesus is obviously a, and Jesus is guilty of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> except yeah, he he's, a non, he's a non-violent threat. So that's what people throughout the Gospels and even today <laughs> don't realize about Jesus is that he is a non-violent threat because he's upending the whole system that we have. And that's what Pilate and that's what Caiaphas fear is how Jesus is going to transform everything. And we're still figuring out 2000 years later how much Jesus is going to transform all of us into this nonviolent new organization or new new humanity of, of love. He's a nonviolent threat, but it's still a real threat. It's still going to really upend the whole system. But if you've never seen that done before, it is very possible to genuinely care, not just for the order of things, but for the safety of most people. And like Caiaphas, I think Caiaphas does care for the safety of the people. But there are some who are left out. There are some who are not, who are unsafe because they've been pushed all the way from the margins. Jesus wants to bring them in. It's going to upend everything. It's going to upend the way we form identities over and against people. And it's going to say that we have no enemies is going to make it hard for us to find a sense of identity over and against enemies. And the way Jesus is going to save the world is going to destroy the world as we know it. And that can be scary. And there will be forces pushing back against Jesus. And that will swallow up vulnerable people too. The disciples themselves, most of them will be killed eventually. So Caiaphas could really feel like he's protecting the people. And in a way he is, but that's still a world of violence that Jesus needs to heal. Yes. Let's move to the cross. Yeah, let's turn. Okay. So this is John chapter 19 verses 25 B through 30. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. 
a jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. There are, it's interesting because there are various ways that people have interpreted throughout Christian history uh, the words of Jesus when he says to his mother, Woman, here is your son, and then to the disciple, Here is your mother. One way is to interpret that as Jesus saying, Hey, disciple, this is now your mother. So Jesus's mother is now the disciple's mother and is his son, right? So he's reforming this new relationship among them. And that's a really good interpretation of the story. And I think almost like the natural interpretation of the story. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does say that she went home with the disciple and it, and it points to what we all want to be able to do when we leave this world is make sure that our loved ones are in good care. Jesus, he really is dying and he will rise again, spoiler alert, but he's not going to stay. So when he comes back, he's, he's not there much longer, even after that. So he's making sure that they care for one another and I mean, that's that's incredibly important. That is a message that we all need to take to heart, that we need to form a new kind of family that's not based on blood, that's based on love, and that we all need to take the responsibility to care for each other. Yes, and it fits with Jesus's previous statements, like, who is my family, those who do the will of God. Yes. So he's constantly restructuring family relationships. The, another way of interpreting this, which goes back to the 13th century, if not before, and James Allison talks about this a bit in his series, Jesus, the Forgiving Victim, is that when Jesus is saying this, he is also talking about himself. So woman, here is your son. Who is the woman's son? Jesus is the woman's yes. son, like this whole yes. time. And also when he says to the disciple, here is your mother, and this is kind of the radical thing within Christian tradition, Jesus is talking about himself here mm -hmm. as, as a mother. Jesus, there's a book uh, by, her last name is Bynum, uh, and it's called Jesus, Our Mother, I forget her first name, but uh, she talks about the long Christian tradition of, uh, of Christians calling Jesus our mother. And why is that? Because here on the cross, Jesus is birthing a new humanity. A little later on in this, or earlier actually, soldiers, Roman soldiers, make us uh, cut Jesus with a spear. And out of Jesus's body comes blood and water. And this... I, I have never given birth myself, <laughs> but uh -huh. uh, blood and water, I know, because I've got a wife who has given birth, come out uh, and this during birth. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He's birthing a new humanity. And so on the cross, Jesus goes through the very painful process of giving birth to mm -hmm. something new in the world. And what is happening both of these interpretations 
are correct, I think, because what's happening is Jesus is birthing a new relationship between these two people. Mm-hmm. And between and between all of us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. You yes. see it played out between these two people. And as you say, it's also playing out between all of us, this new human family that Jesus births into the world on his, uh, as he goes through the travail of the cross. Mm -hmm. Julian of Norwich has absolutely gorgeous Jesus as mother imagery. I'm not sure if she was the first to say it, but you know, that was what, 13th or 14th century? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Then the next stuff that Jesus says is, uh, I am thirsty. Do you think Jesus was really thirsty or is he just saying this to fulfill the scripture? As the story says. I never know how to take whenever it says this was to fulfill the scripture. I never, I never feel like that's really enough. I mean, I'm thinking of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and I'm thinking that another word for righteousness is justice. And I'm also thinking that justice and mercy go hand in hand. So I think he longs to give the world much needed mercy. He probably also longs for mercy for himself because he's dying very painfully. So he's in solidarity with everyone who has ever thirsted, who has ever felt in the deepest and most human way on every level. He's feeling the need for love and compassion and justice and a complete transformation of everything. Yeah, it's interesting because just a couple weeks ago, we had Jesus meeting the woman at the well who was thirsty and getting water, and Jesus gives her spiritual water and now jesus is here identifying so completely with the woman at the well who was ostracized by her community and now jesus is being ostracized by all of humanity and now he thirsts identifying with all people who thirst both physically and uh, spiritually here on the cross jesus says at the end it is finished what is it that's finished well I think it was in The Jesus Driven Life by Michael Harden that I read that he was talking about creation. And and I think he references the creation stories and you have you have two of them and in the first one there's seven days and on the seventh day God rested. Well, I mean, what is Jesus about to do? Actually, he's about to storm through the gates of hell and liberate them. So that's not exactly resting, but but then um but I mean this the after that in the second creation story humanity is created and it's left open after the sixth day i think like there the first first creation story has seven but then the second one has six and there's a sense that humanity itself is unfinished until jesus completes the work of humanity on the cross He is the fully human one, and we are all in the process of becoming fully human, which which means becoming the full images of God that we were meant to be. So in a way, becoming fully human means becoming divine. And Jesus accomplishes it by living a fully human life 
and taking in all the hatred of humanity and all of our fear and all of our over and against each other and all of our it's better for one man to die than for everyone to die this. All of our scapegoating, all of our sacrifice. And he takes it all in and he answers it with forgiveness and love. I mean, that's, that is what it means to be fully human. That is the fullness of God's love. And, and when we live it out in our own lives, we become our fullest selves as well. I think that's the perfect way to end this story of Good Friday, Lindsay. I think it is finished. It is finished. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's not entirely finished because we still have resurrection to come. So uh, join us next time as we discuss Easter and the resurrection. Until then, I am Adam. And I'm Lindsay. And that is all from this episode of Jesus Unmasked. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies, because Jesus calls us to love them too.